need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. Hi, today I have a special treat. We will be talking to Michelle, the founder of M on the Bund. It is an iconic restaurant that has been around for over 20 years. And if you have ever been to Shanghai or you live in Shanghai, probably you have visited. This restaurant was the first to bring the fine dining culture. And it has been my favorite place to go to for the past 10 years. And it feels really like the end of an era. So I'm really privileged and happy to talk to Michelle today about her journey as a foreign entrepreneur and a female, starting out in restaurant business 32 years ago in Hong Kong, and then expanding to Shanghai. While her ambition was to show the Western culture to Chinese audiences and to bring this the best tastes and the best inspirations from the world to the consumers here in Shanghai and also to share a different perspective on China to those abroad. So what started as a restaurant soon grew into a community and that soon grew into all different kinds of activities, including mentor walks, including chamber music concerts, including literary festival. It's really inspiring to know that Michelle has a clear mind on just being herself and trusting her gut. And she's a great example for anybody in business, especially during these moments now where many of us need to make choices and many of us are, you know, forced to listen to many suggestions. So this episode will be very interesting for those who are willing to learn how to make better decisions in high-risk business environment, like running a restaurant, which is really cash flow intensive. Also, you will hear some great tips on how to make and own your own business decisions and how to represent yourself and gain control in life and work. So if anybody wants to know more about what will happen later, you can follow Michelle and me on LinkedIn. I will be uploading a few pictures of some of the final goodbyes at the end. And certainly, I hope this will not be the last time we're talking to Michelle. I know that she's going to start a podcast, so we'll definitely be hearing from her very, very soon. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. So today we're at M on the Bund. Correct. Probably for the last, very last time, I get a chance to sit down with Michelle, the founder. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm all right. A bit flustered today, but I'm okay. Yeah. Well, to just introduce you a little bit, you introduced yourself quite nicely last time I was here for the Chamber Music Concert. You just said, well, whoever doesn't, whoever doesn't know me doesn't, yeah, doesn't. Probably hasn't been around or where, where have well, you been hiding? Around, but I haven't been around. <laughs> yeah. And Jensen, he introduced you like a legend. Yeah. I think to me and many females here in Shanghai, certainly you are an inspiration on uh, how to do things elegantly with class, with grace, and how to persevere in building a culture, not only a business. So you've been here for 30 years, 32, right? I have been in Asia for more, for 37 years. Wow. But I opened the restaurant in Hong Kong in 1989, Mm -hmm. and then the restaurant here in 1999, 
and then the restaurant in Beijing in 2009. So mm-hmm. that's sort of, yes, so more than 30 years. So how, what is it? Because for me, it's not only a restaurant. I know no, that no. you have created the whole culture. So for me, it's about chamber music concerts, as I already spoke. Yes. And also mm-hmm. just on that corner, I remember learning to write haiku for... Oh, really? The literature it's festival. One yeah. of the literature yeah. festival yeah. people yeah. taught you how to write haiku. I think then another addition that you did when probably the, the literary uh, festival wasn't probably an option anymore, the mentor walks. Yes. And what else? The vegan branches. That's mm-hmm. what I come here well, to that... eat every month. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm oh. sorry we didn't do one in January. Mm-hmm. We did, mm-hmm. I started the mentor walks in Beijing in 2012, 2013, and then we started here mm. in 2015. Mm. And I'm, I'm a woman, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a businesswoman, I'm a social entrepreneur, I'm a concerned person, you know, I'm a concerned human being, concerned about the planet, about humanity, about the future, about political discord, and mm. yeah, I think, mm. you know, I'm all of those things. But I think that from a business point of view when i say we it's very interesting to me when i say we did this or we did that very often people say who is we Mm -hmm. and i said well we is all of us because yes i have to guide things and lead it but Mm -hmm. i don't don't do this by myself i mean what now with thousands of people i don't do this by myself and i think that there's very much just yeah maybe this is a bit of influence of china but i think there is very much this sort of prominence or prevalence of pushing one person to the fore and Mm. one person Mm. getting all the credit, especially Mm. with men. Mm. You know, I mean, Mm. what can we say? You know, somebody, it's like, oh, it's me. I'm, you know, I'm Mm. Elon Musk and there Mm. isn't anybody else. And it's sort of like, yeah, sure, Elon Musk is brilliant. But but I think you seem to carry that weight uh, very elegantly too. Like if somebody pushes you to the front, you know what to say, you know yeah, how to present yeah, yourself. Yeah, You're yeah. not shying away and no, running away. Of that's course not. a great example to young uh, female entrepreneurs like us. Yes. So thank yes, you for that. Yeah, to, to actually <laughs> yeah. be proud of what yeah, you do yeah. and not to... And not be saying, oh no, you know, like this just happened. <laughs> and not to have it minimized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's true because I think this is what many women do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. I and mean, we will talk a little bit about women in business, but... You know, I think many women do this. I say, oh, no. And then, you know, I have people say to me, well, you're lucky. And I say, yeah, of course I'm lucky. Of course I'm lucky. But actually, like all luck, it's just a tiny element of something. Nobody is successful just because they're lucky. Mm -hmm. That's just like impossible. It doesn't work like that. So, you know, what there is is a little bit of luck and then a lot of hard work. That's Mm -hmm. luck is just Mm -hmm. one element. And you can also be unlucky. Mm-hmm. and have something that you do that it's exactly at the wrong place and the wrong time in the mm-hmm. wrong location and, the, you know, that can happen too and that. But, you know, all, you've got to roll with the punches actually. Mm-hmm. But I think going back to your first, you know, to your sort of fundamental trying to make me define myself, as myself I am, I am me and I have all of those elements. Mm-hmm. As a business person, the business, the restaurant business is the fundamental base mm-hmm. of the, of the business. Without the restaurant business being successful, making enough money to pay all of the rent for the whole space, pay all of the expenses, cover everything that it needs to cover. There is no extra bandwidth or money or 
time or people to do all of the extra things. Mm -hmm. For mm -hmm. me, all of the extra the things. Groundwork kind of, right? Yeah. Mandatory. Well, it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like setting what the is, scene almost. So what, what's a social enterprise? I mean, people say, mm -hmm. oh, social enterprise. And I do quite a lot of judging of competitions and business things. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's like how are you going to keep funding this after like four years? Mm -hmm. How are you going to keep funding it? Well, we've applied for more grants. It's like, how long do you think you're going to get grants for? Mm -hmm. Oh, but angel investors, it's like, how long do you think people are angels? And really, do you really believe in angels? Do you really mm -hmm. think there's angels with little wings flapping around heaven? There's not. You know, and everybody has got an expectation. So I think that the base, the rock of the business has been the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And that rock has to be solid. Mm -hmm. And it has to be solid in all of its aspects, in its food, in its delivery, in its licenses, in the way it treats its staff, in, mm -hmm. in its procurement processes, in what it delivers, in its image. It has to do all of that. So that's the sort of fundament of the business. And then the other things are things that interest me, you know, so literature, I like to read. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, so I think between literature and also part of the whole literary purpose was not just because I like reading. And of course, that's one part of it. But I think a really big part of it was also that I felt when we first came to China, when I first came or when we first opened the restaurant, that there were so many people coming and they would you know, come for five days or something. And then they would write some story about China that, you know, they had no idea what they were talking about. And, you know, I sort of felt there's got to be a better understanding. Mm. The next question was, what is the consumer of M? Because it feels like you're, you're kind of creating this lifestyle that you would like to share with other people around you so that you and the people around you would be able to enjoy very quality lifestyle and uh, have quality not in a cheap sense but in a you know deeper sense where you can talk about things that are usually not spoken about or like have a place where these conversations are starting yeah i think i mean it was not my idea i didn't set out thinking oh, i'm going to create a lifestyle place mm -hmm. actually i hate that word you do yeah i hate that word well, it's, in, it's funny in new zealand yeah. I'm, i'm from australia but mm -hmm. in new zealand people who are sort of like a bit pretentious are called lifestylers Oh, really? So the people oh, okay, who have okay. a lifestyle and not yeah. a life, <laughs> I think yeah. that's partly why I, can't, why I can't stand that mm -hmm. sort of description. But I think that I didn't set out. I didn't set out thinking, oh, I'm going to start a literary festival and then I'm going to start chamber mm. music. And then I didn't set out with any of that. I think there were all things that happened and opportunities that came that you make opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the interesting things about China and about this growth and about the size mm -hmm. and about the vibrancy and about the enormous consumer base and is that you are actually able, doesn't matter what you do, you can probably find a market for it. Mm -hmm. You know, so for me, it was... Not anymore, but certainly when you came 30... Maybe not so much. More, more, more than 30 years ago. Uh, what well, did it you was set, not really in business 30 then. years ago. You know, well, I was in Hong Kong until, yeah, yeah. you know, we didn't open here until 99. Yeah. And when I came in the mid-90s, I came in the mid-80s, and then I came very often to Shanghai. I loved Shanghai right from the minute I first was here. I loved Shanghai. And then I came back, and it was in the mid-90s that I came with Bruno, who, I, who ran the restaurant for many mm -hmm. years. Many mm -hmm. people will know who Bruno was or is. Bruno's now back in Amsterdam. But 
you know, it was when he said, let's open a restaurant. I said, why, you're crazy. Open a restaurant. It's a mad idea. But then, you know, I sort of <laughs> thought, yeah, why not? You know, it's obvious to me that the future of Hong Kong is as a part of China, which today is a bit of a controversial statement, but yeah, not really. I mean, anybody who didn't think the future of Hong Kong was going to be a part of China was in dreamland, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. So it was obvious to me that China was the future. And this was in the mid-90s when mm -hmm. I stopped telling people I lived in Hong Kong because I got so sick of the question, what's going to happen in 1997? It was just the most boring question. What kind of people would be asking this question? Anybody, like Australia, anywhere any, in the any world. Country. It okay. didn't matter where you went in the world, so, so people very, were asking very this question. Because you are running a restaurant in Hong Kong and people would assume that you would know what would happen in 1997. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this so, you know, for me, going back to our point, was when I came to, you know, open a restaurant in 1999, I came in 96, we did a pop-up at the Peace Hotel. Then mm -hmm. in 97, I started to work on trying to find a location. In 97, when I was trying to find a location, everybody said to me, you have to be in a triangle of the Hilton Hotel, the Okura Hotel, the Garden mm -hmm. Hotel, the Hilton Hotel and the Portman Hotel. You have to be in that triangle. You cannot mm -hmm. be more than five minutes outside that triangle. Otherwise, it will never work. So, Michelle, and what do you do when somebody says you cannot do something? Well, that's... Do it, right? Okay. <laughs> A friend said to me the other day, I said something and she said impossible. I said, nothing is impossible. Oh, yeah, if you yeah, put yeah. your mind to it. And she said, Michelle, you're so funny. She said, for many people, nothing is possible. But for some Correct. people, nothing yeah, is yeah. impossible. Yeah. I mean, of course, there are things that are impossible. But that was not really the thing. I did yeah, spend yeah. a long time looking Searching in that out. in that okay. triangle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was just – and, of course, I got tons of crappy advice and, oh, you have to – nobody cares about decoration. Nobody cares about this. The price has to be this. It can't be more than this. It was – so many people said things to me. It feels like you always found a way to listen to your gut. Like that's how it I think feels, in many ways you have you know? to listen to your yeah. gut. I think and that's it's very like I can sense because I've been coming here for ten years. Mm. Right? So with everything that's added or removed, I can sense that it's just coming from somewhere. It's not a logical decision; it's just intuitive. And in the end, this is what works best. It feels like oh, I guess it makes sense. I guess that's true. But I think I think that you have to do what you know how to do also. Mm -hmm. So I think actually if you said to me, well, why don't you buy a Starbucks franchise? Why don't you sort of like try to open a Starbucks, you know, coffee enterprise mm. and open it all over China? Mm. First of all, I would say what for? But, you know, secondly, it's like it's not what I know how to do. Mm -hmm. So I think also for so me. So what is it do you think you know how to do? I think I know how to, what I know how to do is things that I want to do. Mm -hmm. So if I don't want That's to do it. That's a very good point, yep. You know, there has to be some real desire to do mm -hmm. something. And if you don't have that desire to do that thing and to do it well, then you're probably not going to be successful so, at it. Because I think also to do things well, you have to be pretty committed to them. Very and you have to commit through ups and downs and mm -hmm. the thick and the thin. And, you know, you have to be able to see out of the other side of it. You have to be able to see that, okay, I think, you know, if this goes forward this is going to be i but i had no idea when we opened in 90 the beginning mm -hmm. of 1999 i had no idea what was going to happen
So what was your desire back then? And what was your ambition? How did you... I wanted to open... You know, I said for 10 years in Hong Kong, I said, I don't want to open a big restaurant. I don't understand why anybody wants to open a big restaurant. What's the problem with having a business that is an ethical, reasonable business that's Mm -hmm. of a reasonable size? Why do people have to be so greedy that they want Mm -hmm. to dominate everything? Mm -hmm. And then I came here and we had this great big space and we did it and I sort of felt... I mean, the, you know, I remember walking up that staircase. I'd had quite a lot of problems. I'd had other places that had fallen apart. We didn't really have money. You know, I didn't, I was coming back and forth from Shanghai. So it wasn't easy at all. But then I came in, I walked up the stairs. I saw that sort of aspect of over the river in Shanghai. And for me, it was like, it wasn't a no-brainer, but it was like, wow, this is just amazing. And I think there was also a certain element of optimism, which I think is still here. Even in difficult times, I think optimism remains here. But there was an element of anything is possible in this place. Who knows what mm, it is, but anything, anything is possible. In this and place being this I think the whole city, premise, the personally, city. I think okay. the whole city. But I also felt that the whole focus of that tiny little basically expat community Mm -hmm. who thought they ran the place was like and so far removed from Mm -hmm. what was really running the place there was so far removed from it I think I just sort of came and I and because we'd I'd worked with the state-owned enterprise at the Peace Mm -hmm. Hotel you know Mm -hmm. it's sort of I think I just sort of came and I saw it other things are possible it is a much bigger city than these Mm-hmm. This small group of people in this small area, and in many ways, I'm sure. I mean, I've now been living there for a year in the former French concession. I, you probably live there too. I don't know. No, but actually, yeah, you don't. I, I yeah. live near Sujo Creek uh, with a view similar to yours. Actually. I lived <laughs> on Sujo Creek for yeah. 17 years, oh, and wow. I never really lived mm-hmm. in that former French concession. But I have been living there, and it's mm-hmm. lovely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. full of little alleyways and yeah. cute little things. It's lovely. It's Shanghai. And that's, for many people, that is what mm-hmm. Shanghai is. But actually, it's still a very small part of Shanghai, mm-hmm. and it's not the nucleus and the essence of Shanghai. It's not. You know, there are other centres all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I felt at that time was that there is a bigger opportunity than an old house or but, something but in the so, FFC. So my question is more like what was your mission back then? What was the desire? It's my mission was to open a restaurant and to make it, a, made it okay. successful so it wasn't closed down and we made enough money we could pay our bills. That was a very simple so, mission. So what does it mean to have a successful restaurant? You what? have to be able to pay your bills. I no, think any successful business. No, it is. It is. Okay. It is. In many ways, it's Mm -hmm. as simple as that. If you run a business that does not make enough money to cover itself, you know, how long Mm -hmm. can you do that for? Okay, you can sort of say, okay, I'm going to stick with this for three years because Mm -hmm. I think the market isn't ready or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that you, especially in a a financially, like cash-intense business like Mm -hmm. a restaurant, Mm -hmm. it has to make money. So for me, the first thing, the mission was... First of all, it was a massive challenge. I love Shanghai. It was a massive mm-hmm. challenge to come and open a restaurant yeah. in Shanghai. It was sort of like somebody says As it's impossible, you can't do it. It's like yeah. you watch, you watch. Mm-hmm. I will try. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I fail, but I can tell you I will at least try. 
So, of course, you know, the day before we opened, I was, you know, sitting on the floor in tears, exactly the same in Hong Kong. The day before mm -hmm. we opened, it's like, what am I thinking? What is, oh my God, nobody's ever going to come here. This is a crazy idea. I've spent all this money. What am I going to do? And blah, blah. Was it your own investment or did you? Uh, well, investors? at the first, we, I had investors. Mm -hmm. And right at the beginning, I had investors. I didn't have the money to open a restaurant in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So I actually borrowed, I like borrowed, I had a find a business partner and mm -hmm. still partners with that business partner. Wow. We raised okay. money. He was financial guy. We raised money. I actually had to do the work of raising the money. He came up with the structure that gave him control and me. And even though I put in the same amount of money as him and I put in all of the work mm -hmm. and I hope lots of women are listening to this because I put in two and a half, three years of hard work where I wasn't paid at all. I put all the groundwork in mm -hmm. and I put dollar for dollar the same amount of money that he put in mm -hmm. and we owned 52 percent of the company between us and we sold shares for the rest of it so it was a very clever financial mm -hmm. structure it was very clever and he always said i should have like you know trademarked the financial you know structure rather than anything else but anyway you know, so, so what was the financial structure so 40 it was yeah we shares. owned 52 percent with a shares and 48 percent was was owned so, by so other you people. and him 26 and 26 or no of course not he had majority mm -hmm. i had mm -hmm. 27 and lord and i had 25 mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. like that ridiculous Mm -hmm. So, but of course, and, so and I understood that. I would reason. say to young women, say, fuck yourself. Do <laughs> not do that. No, because I understood immediately that I saw it on that. And we've had mm. this discussion since then. But it's I like understood. 30 something years ago. So. It's 34 yeah. years yeah, ago. Yeah. yeah. So you learned that lesson. Very, I learned that early. lesson very, very in, early. In your, and I also, I also learned how to fight. Yeah. Because actually when, I went, you know, we were very own. successful. We were very successful right at the beginning. We paid back all of the investment, thank God, because then I didn't have to, you know, worry. I didn't have, I had to pay back the investment. I'd borrowed it from my mother and my sister. So we paid all of wow. that back. Mm -hmm. And then we were right at the beginning in a couple of years down the line, I was offered a big opportunity with a big company in Hong Kong. And I went to Michael, who we're still partners and we're friends. I went to him and I said, okay, they want me to do this thing. He said, well, that's very interesting, and blah, blah, and we talked about it. And then I said, but I'm not going to do it if you've got control, I'm not doing it. And he said, well, blah, 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 and then we negotiated with each other and then a friend, actually a friend introduced me to another woman and she was, she was as tough as they come mm -hmm. and she stood in the background behind me and she, she's basically an investment banker and she said, say this, say that, and go back and say, he said this, and she'd say, he didn't even know she existed, but he knew somebody was advising me because he knew that I didn't. Mm -hmm. There was a whole part of stuff that I probably couldn't have known. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then we had a final showdown when he said, okay, I'll offer you, no, because I, I said, okay, I'll buy th your three shares or whatever the difference was. Mm -hmm. I think for the restructuring of the company by that time, it was three shares. And I said, so I'll buy that. And he said, okay, and gave me some stupid price. And all he ever did was come to dinner. Never done anything more than come to dinner. Although he's a fantastic guy and mm -hmm. I love him and he has been patient and wonderful and he stood right behind me. But he said at the time, I'll sell, it, sell you those shares for that. And I said, mm. and then I said to him, that's not going to work for me. I said, okay, why don't you buy all my shares for the same price? And he said, uh, I said, you run the restaurant. It's fine. You run it. You know, I've got to do something else. So, mm. 
And then it was like, this is crazy. So we agreed to disagree. And about, I can't remember how much longer later, but you know, maybe I sort of think it's six months, maybe it's not that long. Mm-hmm. It was my birthday. He sent me a message. It was always polite. He sent me a message and said, why don't we have lunch? And he came and he gave me an envelope and he said here, and I said, thanks. And I put it on the side and he said, aren't you going to open it? And I said, no. And he said, I think you should open it. I, I think I said, no, I know what it is. It was the three shares. It was the three shares. Yeah. It was good. Right. Fine. Yeah. Tough negotiation. I think but it was really tough negotiation. Yeah. It was often not very pleasant. And, you and then to finally, wait it out, basically, I needed right? to wait it you, out. You couldn't push. You needed to no, really couldn't push, push by waiting. Yeah, yeah. Because I also had as much to lose. You know, yeah, I had yeah. a job in this restaurant. I had people, and mm-hmm. he wouldn't have a clue how to do it. But you know, you can always think you can always find another restaurant manager and and, and take mm-hmm. over this. Why not? You know, it's like. So I think that for me, the moral of that story, and actually there's a funny end to that story, one, we're still business partners, um, (laughs) is that the moral of that story I think really is, you know, like stand your ground, but also get advice and listen Mm -hmm. to advice, Mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, Josephine ended up being a director and Josephine and Michael now have a company together. So he didn't know she existed, Mm -hmm. but actually Mm -hmm. he's on her board of her Mm -hmm. company. So there you go. Mm -hmm. So you Mm -hmm. put people together. So I think actually, you know, we are talking about business. I mm-hmm. think, you know, if people want to talk about menus and come and look at the menu. But, mm-hmm. you know, for me, the business side of it is actually I have a lot of strong feelings about what business is about. And I think business is not just about making a profit. You have to make a profit to stay in business. Mm-hmm. So I think I often talk to young people who say, but the profit motive, I say, you've got to make a profit. If you don't make a profit, you can't stay in business. Otherwise, it's a hobby. Otherwise, well, otherwise it's a hobby and you better be rich. Mm-hmm. You know, you better have somebody endlessly supplying money to you because if it costs money, someone's got to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. And so and then they control your And then decisions. they control what you do. So actually, yeah. if you want to control your own decisions, you mm-hmm. have to make enough money to be able to operate a business. Everything you do on top of that is really up to you. And then you have the freedom to do other things. Mm -hmm. So for me, the business is the backbone of the freedom to do other things. And it doesn't mean that I can't take the business seriously. And it doesn't mean that I don't have to stay on top of all of the business side of it. But it does mean that actually, if you're not being led by money, I think too many people are led by money. Mm -hmm. You know, either they have no idea about money and they totally screw it up or they're really like everything is like following the money. And that also doesn't make sense. I think you have to know why, you know, you're making money. And if what you really want to do is just make a lot of money, good luck. But mm-hmm. I personally think that, and I, I've always thought this, you can make money, but you have to contribute back into the society that you're in. And if you don't contribute back into the society you're in, you're just really like a parasite, mm-hmm. actually. And I've have deep, deep, deep beliefs that many companies in the world are like parasites, that they don't actually contribute too much. They take, you know, when people say to me, you never changed anything in 20 years, I say, there's always new things happening. I mean, if you can't see and they're like, what? I say, I have to explain to you every new thing we've done. You know, I mean, you have to keep doing new things because if you don't do new things, then just because things look the same, mm-hmm. 
from on a superficial glance doesn't mean that there's not new things happening and new ideas and new work going into development things. So for me, what's been very, very consistent, it's what you mentioned a little bit is that care. Mm. And what yeah. I jokingly said when we were talking earlier was that this is the only restaurant I know in China that I've seen the waiters ironing the tablecloth. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the questions I had, which was very, very interesting for me, because I've also been here longer than mm -hmm. normal foreigners, yes. is how did you see the consumers change? Especially well, consumer taste even before changed. the pandemic and yeah, during yeah, of the pandemic? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, if, I think if I look at our customers, if you sort of say, who are the customers? In the beginning, we all, the customers were very sort of much international. The very long-term people who'd been here, actually, I remember people saying to me, do you know that you can eat in Shanghai for like 10 RMB per person? And I would say, yeah, of course I know that, but you can't eat here for 10 RMB per person. And it was sort of like this accusation that we should be doing it. And we, we weren't a social enterprise. I spent a million a US charity, dollars. Yeah. Not a charity, you know. It's like you can eat wherever you want, but don't mm -hmm. come here. And it's, this is what it is. You come here, this, the negotiation is that's the menu, that's the price. And no, we don't do discounts. Mm -hmm. This is something we go back to discounting. Because the clientele mm -hmm. in the beginning was local people who were affluent enough to, you know, come to a Western restaurant or were interested enough to come mm -hmm. to a Western restaurant or, you know, sort of international enough to feel very comfortable to come to a Western restaurant, either being, either coming themselves or being brought by foreign business people, you know, so there were foreign business delegation coming mm -hmm. in and they had to invite those people to come. So that was the sort of what there was in the beginning. Or it was those same people, maybe, or other people who felt we have to entertain these foreigners and we heard this place is very famous and very good, so we'll take them there. Mm -hmm. So then right at the beginning, I remember having a, a lunch one time with the building management guys, not long after we opened, and I said, invited them all to come up to have lunch. And I sat with Carrie, who still works with me, and, you know, we let them order whatever they wanted. They had no idea what to order. They had no idea about menu. I mean, it's not the Chinese way. You Correct. know, you yeah. don't ask other people to order. What do you want to eat? It's like, mm -hmm. no, I'm deciding what everybody's eating and we share mm -hmm. all this food. So, you know, Carrie said, well, I suggest you have some soup and then you have, you know, some steak and it's sort of easy. Mm -hmm. And so that was what was ordered. And then all the cutlery was changed and the soup spoon was put there and that was taken away. And then they were like, you know, I could see, but I wasn't really paying attention to that. And then the food came and I'm the host. So I'm not going to write, right, everybody, the food's there, you know, I'll dig in. I'm sort of waiting. <laughs> and then I think nobody's eating. And then I think, oh, of course. So, because nobody knew what to do. Really? Right. So I picked up the soup spoon and I made a lot of noise with my soup and went, you know, so, and because I thought if I'm like little like mouse and then, and then, you know, actually I didn't, I, I don't eat steak, but, you know, then I sort of, you know, picked up other things and then everybody was comfortable after that. And you only need to do it once, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I think that sort of early days. A bit later on, nobody had a passport. I mean, think about this. Mm -hmm. Most people have never really travelled. Most local people have never really travelled unless they'd lived in America or studied in Australia or That's studied in Lithuania. Or, yeah, sorry. That's the clients, the yeah. 
in the 90s. This is in the early, early 2000s, 2000s, yeah, yeah, late 90s, early 2000s. But by about 2005, 6, 7, you know, my my gang had been to Thailand and mm -hmm, Hong Kong mm -hmm. and, you know, we're used to more foreign restaurants and there was more. So I think over time it's just like the market's grown and the more people travelled, the more comfortable they were. Mm -hmm. So I actually think really from those days where lots of people started to travel and and then there was this sort of not even just a younger generation people started to go to egypt and turkey and morocco i remember flying to istanbul from shanghai and it was full of chinese people and mm -hmm. i thought who are all these people going to istanbul why istanbul is a beautiful city oh i love istanbul yeah, yeah, but i just sort of maybe this was then maybe it was 2000 and Eight or nine, maybe, maybe ten. I think Expo was a crucial change. Yeah, I, I think Expo was a crucial that. change, definitely. But mm -hmm. even before that, so it was some time, it was a long time ago, but I haven't even been to Istanbul for about ten years. Mm -hmm. And But they were tourists. I mean, they were all Chinese tourists. And I was sort of surprised because I was like, you know, yeah, you go to Paris and you see the rich people and they've got like bags up to them. But it was like these were like, these were like ordinary people, you know, I mean, ordinary, I don't know how you classify anybody, but it was really surprising to just me. Regular people, not they somebody just regular people or more affluent. Exactly. Although, like who knows, who knows who's the, you know, the richer you they know, are, yeah, the more yeah, bummy yeah. they look, if you ask me. But, <laughs> agree, agree. Yeah, so I think that actually, if people ask, if, if you ask me how tastes have changed, tastes have changed in this way because tastes have changed because the Chinese people became much more affluent, mm -hmm. much more international and much more confident. So now in but, the last two years... I think remained. The curiosity remained, yes. Very, very open. Yes, so especially in Shanghai. It's a bit different uh, from Europe where you get richer, you become more stuck in your habits. That's, yeah, maybe true. Yeah. Whereas in yeah. China, like the richer yeah. you become, the more interested you're yeah, you in are. trying more yeah. things. Yeah. 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 Without and, judgment. Yeah. Of, but yeah. I think it's also Shanghai a bit because yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember when we opened, there was this lady in the kitchen. There was a woman and she had on little heels and painted nails. And we used to sort of all laugh and say the Shanghai bun because I don't yeah. know if you remember this, but they had all of that yes. super elaborate hairdo. And so she was wandering Beautiful. around the kitchen hmm. and I was like, who's this glamour one? You know, mm -hmm. and it's like, she's a cleaner. I was like, who employed her as a cleaner? I mean, you know. Like, why not? She needs to be dressed up for her. Why not? There's no way. She hated cleaning. That was what I looked she at. Anybody with painted okay. nails doesn't like cleaning. So, of course, it's the whole genesis of painted nails. Yeah. If you have yeah. painted nails, you're not a housewife. You're not doing mm -hmm. work. So I remember her saying, did I remember well, saying something to her? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I remember saying something to her and and she said to me, like in English, I know French. I said, oh, do you? I said, are you French? And she said, I know French. I live in French concession. Oh. I said, oh, I see. <laughs> so there was this sort of international vibe, mm. even though she was cleaner in a restaurant mm -hmm. and earning 900 RMB, or probably 700 RMB a month or whatever mm. it was. So I think there was always been this sort of international side of Shanghai mm -hmm. that people feel yeah. Yeah, very yeah, yeah, like yeah. they are international. Interesting. The rest of China might be peasants, but no, yeah, yeah. in Shanghai we are international. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, we're French. Oh, okay. So I think that 
you know, how the clientele has changed. It has mm. always changed. And of course, I would guess now we have had somebody from, I would just about say, just about every country on the planet. Mm -hmm. If there are a few we've missed, I'd be surprised. I mean, we've had people from Tonga, Tuvalu, you know, every island in the South Pacific, Iceland, every, every European country mm -hmm. for sure, every Bolivia, every consul general uh, or somebody from South America, North America, Africa. I think over these years in the restaurants, I doubt there is one country. I mean, if there is, maybe the only one is Suriname. Because when I went to live in Beijing, I lived next to the Suriname, wasn't an embassy, maybe it was mm -hmm. a Suriname representative office mm -hmm, or something. Mm -hmm. And I said, what's that? And Bruno, who was Dutch, said, Suriname's a country? I said, really? I never heard of it. Mm -hmm. I, I pride myself on my geography. Mm -hmm. So maybe there was nobody from Suriname. But actually, as they lived in the office next door, they probably came to our restaurant in Beijing once. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so I think, but how tastes have changed is as people became more confident and became more affluent, they were able to mm -hmm. go out further. In the last couple of years, tastes have changed because of the COVID situation. You know, there has been an exclusion of, you know, nobody was able to get in. So, you know, that made things much tougher, let's say. And then I think we had to figure out how to adapt ourselves. I wasn't here for the first few months, but we had to figure out how to adapt adapt ourselves to the sort of changing environment. Like, okay, so before that, we didn't really do afternoon tea every day. Hmm. We did afternoon tea on the weekends only. And then we started to do afternoon tea every day. And then we started to do package things and pack, you know, sort of putting together a family style menu. We changed plates from just individual, 10 individual main courses to a couple of platters. So, you know, we had to adapt to the way that Chinese families especially, you know, eat because it was mm -hmm. very much family thing. So we did have to adapt. And then also we had to go on to, you know, we had Dianping, we had some Dianping, but actually I think at Emma on the Banda, I don't think we had any. In Beijing, we had Dianping. But then we had to go on to Dianping and then we had to discount. And I said this the other day at this talk, if I have one bit of advice to people, it's never discount. Mm -hmm. Because once you start that, you know, yeah. and it's one of the problems for the F&B industry, I think, mm -hmm. in this city, is that the Dianping and Meituan um, platforms oh, are the only platforms, they are the only way that, people know about you now you have to be on those platforms mm -hmm. and you're rated on those platforms by people who don't necessarily know anything of what they're talking about but that doesn't matter their customers and their opinion is their opinion mm -hmm. but you have to discount and actually it's very much discount led so if you you sort of have to falsely inflate your prices right. to then discount the package mm -hmm. and that I think was in many ways I think it was you know one of the only ways that we stayed alive mm -hmm. but it was also I think just the worst business decision I but it wasn't really a decision yeah, yeah. Had no choice. I don't think we had a choice mm -hmm. so I think that you know what we could have done because I'm sure that you know this is the question that everybody has because everybody keeps asking me the same question is why did you you know why are you closing 
This restaurant is 1,212 square meters. So 1,213 square meters. We pay for every single square centimeter of this restaurant. The front restaurant, which is actually only half of the space of the front of the front half of the building, because more than half of it is the terrace, which is lovely. We pay full price for the terrace. And the terrace, of course, is beautiful and it's, it's the gem, it's the jewel in the crown, but it's a very expensive jewel that does not bring the profit that it needs to bring. It does not generate the money it needs to cover it. Glam, you know, through every iteration, it's been Rolla di Polo, the Glamour Bar and Glamour Room, Crystal Room, and then Glam has never made any money. So the yeah. making of the money has to happen. And Emma on the Bund. Yeah. And once you start to discount that, you know, you can't do it. So quite a lot of people have said to me, so at the end of the day, I made the decision and it's financial decision mm-hmm. to close. It is simply too expensive. The, the running costs and the break-even point of this restaurant are simply too high mm-hmm. for what this type of restaurant can generate. Now, I think if we wanted to, and I thought about this, you know, a few people said, why don't you change this whole thing into private dining rooms? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, we could change it into private dining rooms. Still a risk because actually Chinese business people don't want Western private dining rooms. They want Chinese private dining yeah, rooms. And we're, not a Chinese, and... we're not a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, mm-hmm. where they can all smoke. I mean, I go to every restaurant I go to that is everybody smoking. Yeah. Like, right? I mean... We've faced a 30,000 RMB fine for somebody smoking on our terrace. Wow. Precisely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yet I go to other restaurants and everybody's smoking. It's like we are held to a different standard. Yeah, yeah. And I know that. The standard they have you created. Always been held to a different standard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We always yeah. have. And, you know, yeah, it's a standard we created. So that's, you yeah. know, too bad for us. But I think that for me, the days of big Western restaurants are numbered. Mm-hmm. for Shanghai, mm-hmm. for, for the moment. I think maybe in three years or four years or five years, and maybe it's only two years, there will be an opportunity for new things to come mm-hmm. in. But for now, I think I carried the restaurant for two years. I carried it financially, i.e. we did not make any money, but wow. I carried it financially. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like, okay, we have to sign a five-year lease moving forward. Mm-hmm. They're increasing the rent. They're not giving us any concessions at all. And, you know, so this sort of a no-brainer. It would be financial suicide to go forward. And then it was... I saw in the South China Morning Post, you Mm. mentioned a similar story to what you said about Singapore, that suddenly this guy just disappeared. So something that was happening about here as well, somebody just sending you a WeChat text message. Oh, yes, that's true. There was a guy trying to... Yes, there was a guy, yeah. So I just wonder how come well, actually, that's a much longer story. And actually, you know, he came, approached me and said, you know, we're not going to give you any money up front, but we'll make it, make sure it's worth your while over the longer term. Mm-hmm. We don't need you. Mm-hmm. We don't, there were a lot of signs of, that I didn't feel comfortable about. Mm-hmm. And in the end, you know, they did due diligence for 10 days and in the office for five days. So it took all the information. I felt pretty uncomfortable about it. Mm-hmm. Then they were like, where's the teacup sales? I was like, well, it's all there somewhere. But I mean, you're not buying a teacup sale yeah. business, right. you know, 
it's like, and I don't have to respond. I don't have mm -hmm. to tell you anything. Mm -hmm. You are actually not paying for the stock, right. you know. So, mm -hmm. and like, unless you're paying for something, I don't have to justify anything to you. So in the end, he pulled out right at the end. I got a text message mm -hmm. from him saying, oh, I just don't think this is going to work. So that was four months wasted mm -hmm. from the time that I came back in September 2019. And I hope he hears this mm. because he was an arsehole. Mm -hmm. Anyway, September 2019, that happened at the end of January. Then it was Chinese New Year. Then mm -hmm. I thought, okay, let, let's give, you know, let me give myself a year. So that was before the pandemic? No, no, was that, I came back, mm -hmm. I came back mm -hmm. in August 2020. It was when I got the visa to come back. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I knew I had to make a decision because we had a seven-year lease, two years. After two years, I could break it. I had to continue for mm -hmm. five more. I'm sort of sick and tired of this story because I've told it so many times okay, now. Okay. But just for, for the record, mm -hmm. there was a seven-year lease. I had to sign for five more. I knew I had to terminate in October. I had to give them a termination letter in October 2021 mm -hmm. to terminate on the 1st of March 2022, and I decided mm -hmm. to do that. So I tried to find some other possibilities. Mm -hmm. I tried some other discussions with some other people. At the end of the day, there was nothing that was really going to work mm -hmm. because I think a restaurant of this size as a Western restaurant is just not possible to be profitable for the next few years. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, who wants to take on a lease for five years when maybe you're not going to make any money for a mm -hmm. couple of years? I mean, so, what so, for? You know, yeah. just to summarize the whole story, what I'm hearing, there are a few key points that I've learned is that if you stay true to yourself mm. and do the best that you can do mm. with your food, with the environment, mm -hmm. then no matter if it is Chinese, if it is a foreigner, mm. if it is somebody coming from a village or anywhere, they will be very interested to experience So it's not about you adapting yourself to please others, yeah. but making sure that you consolidate the best yes. that you can offer yeah. and consistently do that. Yes. And then if the time comes that suddenly this is no longer an option yeah. to be serving your best, it's rather you kind of say thank you, take a It's sort of breath. also market forces. <laughs> yeah. You know, if yeah. market if the market forces are not with you, mm. okay, you can ride it out for a while. Mm. But if the market forces are really no longer, truly no longer with you, then I think it's foolish to continue. Mm. And my decision was actually rather than continue for the next few years, and maybe in, after two more years we might go back into a profit-making situation, I would rather close and pay the staff. Mm. I'd rather do that. Right, right. And so for me... Some honour and some... Yeah, I mean, and actually, right? yes, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, like it's yeah. fine. And actually I don't feel bitter about mm -hmm. this no we've had 22 years other people now. do <laughs> you do you have tons and tons of options no. in this city yeah you do but you know i feel that we've had 20 fantastic years mm -hmm. i will finish with one last story i have a godson who is 30 years old and he has no idea about business well he probably thinks he does but he don't think he does you only and started at 32 right so you have yeah okay he, he yeah exactly time. he has, he has time. time he has time yeah. yeah i've tried to push him i've tried to encourage him he hasn't taken any of my hints but i was talking to him actually about a year ago and his name is pierre and i said he said so how are you doing and i said oh i said it's pretty tough pierre it's pretty you know things are not easy and he said yeah but how long you been you know 
he was born around the time his mother was one of the financial people I worked with mm. and she made mm. me godmother to him. Interesting. And yeah, and he was born in France. He didn't even speak any English for the first nine years of his life. So mm -hmm. I don't speak any French. So we loved each other, but we couldn't really communicate. <laughs> but we did love each other to death. And we still love each other to death. Anyway, he said to me, but how many years have you been in business? And I said, mm, yeah, over 30. He said, how many have been bad? I said, mm, yeah, maybe just two or three. He said, that sounds like a pretty good percentage to wow, me. Yeah. And I thought it's true. Yeah. You know, Beijing was hard work. Beijing was really hard work, but that was not really Beijing's fault. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was overinvested. It was too big. It was in the mm -hmm. wrong location. Mm -hmm. And somehow in my gut, even when we opened, I knew that. I think it's, it's very make difficult money. not to be pushed by people around you and to, yeah. because they want you to grow bigger, to do better. So just as a final thought, what do you think is the most important thing you've learned over the years and what would you like other females to, or, or males? Stick to up learn for yourself. Early? Yeah, men too. Yeah. Actually, I've mentored a few men in the restaurant business and they've come to me and said, can you help me? And I've said, I don't talk, I don't mentor men in business. Men don't need it. Really? Well, they do need it, but mm -hmm. they don't think they need it. Okay. I think there's a younger generation now who, you mm -hmm. know, I think that I believe there is a younger generation of men who are much more open mm -hmm. actually to women and men doing things and women are just as capable as men. Mm -hmm. I think there are now a lot of young so, so men. So how do that. you Well, I think for you yourself, how do you stand your ground? Like if I'm, for example, as a female entrepreneur, still don't have those capabilities, what can I do to be able to learn that? I think stick up for what you believe in and stand mm -hmm. up for yourself and don't be pushed around. And when somebody says it was women who sat at that meeting in mm -hmm. 1988 and said, this is how the company is going to be structured. It was women who did it. Mm -hmm. You know, that will be that. And that will be mm -hmm. that. Now maybe he'd briefed them before. And I've never asked him about that. Maybe he mm -hmm. briefed them and said, I think until things are okay, it's until things are stable, it's better that I have control. But I was the one who took the financial risk. I signed. Mm -hmm. the personal guarantees, and I didn't even have any property. I signed a personal guarantee with Credit Agricole, which I think is so funny because I now bank with Credit Agricole in France, that I would go and work in Paris to pay off the debt of mm -hmm. the money I borrowed. Wow. And my only condition was it has to be in Paris. And it was speaking mm -hmm. French. And I thought, well, at least if I have to sort of work for the rest of my life cooking for in some office, at least it can be in Paris. So he made me take the financial risk. And I understood immediately. I, I could see, I thought, yeah, he's got control of this, you know. So actually, I would say you've got to stand up. As soon as you see that there is something that is not going in your favor and it's going against you and it's not fair, you have to speak up. Mm -hmm. You can't be silenced by other women or by men or by anybody else. I think it's just important not to be silenced. And actually, if you miss an opportunity, never mind, there's always another opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just one more thing I'd really like to say. I've had so many people say to me, I've done so much mentoring, you know, one-hour mm -hmm. mentoring, which I think is one of the best things that I ever came up with. I mean, it wasn't my idea to begin with. Yeah, one hour of mentoring. I think it's so important. It's somebody you don't know. They're completely honest. It's one hour. They mm -hmm. give you an honest opinion without being nasty. And actually, it's something that really you've got a clear question. You can go off and think about something. But I have had so many people say, I had this really good idea, but somebody took it. 
That is mm-hmm. such a load of rubbish. Mm-hmm. Nobody can ever take your idea, ever. And even if they do take your idea, they can't do it in the same way that you would mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. So I, that's something that I hear a lot from women. Yeah, I do. I hear it a lot from women. Oh, yeah, I had this really great idea, but somebody took it. It's an excuse, right? Well, I just think nobody can ever take your idea, actually. Mm-hmm. And even if they do take your idea, so what? Man of coffee, so what? They stole Starbucks' idea. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they've done it in a completely different way. So even if somebody does take your idea. I'm interested, like, if there is a person debating whether to go for an entrepreneurial journey or to go for an employment or a partnership when it's more safe. Okay. You know? Let me tell you, I had an opportunity in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. I was offered a partnership of 30% of a restaurant that was very successful. It was absolutely boring Italian restaurant where they did sort of like a trio of pasta yeah. on the same plate, you know, like one with that flavor, but one with that flavor. You would need to sign your life to yeah. this uh, restaurant yeah. in, uh, in, in France in case you fail, Yeah, oh, it wasn't a restaurant, you know? it was a bank. So. It was a bank and actually <laughs> no, I had to pay down the debt so I would have been paid a salary and got French thing. So that wasn't the problem. But what I did, and this is why I tell you this for a reason. Mm-hmm. So I was offered this thing, it was completely boring to me and I just thought, I don't want to do you. This is just so dull. But do I go back to Hong Kong and pursue opening a restaurant by myself? Because actually it was a boyfriend and I had wanted to do it to begin with. He was the one who wanted to do it. I was like, you're out of your mind. How are we going to do a restaurant? He got really sick. We went back to Melbourne. He had a heart transplant. He is still oh alive. God. He has had two heart transplants, this guy. I oh, know he's all right. He's mm-hmm. fine. He got married four times after that or something. Four so, times. Oh, okay. Something like that. So he had to stay in Melbourne and I had two sheets of paper divided in half on the back of my bedroom door. I was living with my sister. We didn't have any money because he'd spent it all by being in hospital in Hong Kong for two weeks. So every single penny, our bank accounts were empty. And I had two lists on the back of my door. One had for Melbourne against Melbourne, for Hong Kong against Hong Kong. And every time Mm -hmm. I thought about something, I would come and I would do a little thing like for Melbourne, not much, against Melbourne, lots of things. It was also winter. Mm -hmm. And for Hong Kong, lots of things and against Hong Kong. And after about three weeks, I didn't even have to think about it. I look at this list and think there is that much against Melbourne, that much for Hong Kong, that much against Hong Kong and that Mm -hmm. against Mm -hmm. Hong Kong and that much for Melbourne. It was just sort of like it was a no-brainer. And in some ways, I think that was the decision. So that you dropped the boyfriend and took the restaurant? I dropped the boyfriend. Took the <laughs> I didn't drop him immediately. Yeah, 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 yeah. I dropped the boyfriend and took the mm. restaurant. And I think actually I'm really pleased that I did it by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, now mm-hmm. I just think I was the capable one mm-hmm. actually through the entire thing yep. anyway. So I think maybe for women, believe in your own capability, mm-hmm. you know, and be fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, staff, it's not rocket science how you keep staff. The first staff I employed here still work with me. And my I have one person still employed in Hong Kong. She has worked with me for 31 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not rocket science. You just have to treat people with some respect and pay them fairly. And you don't own their life. I think you need to care. They own their life. Yeah, but also mm-hmm. their life is their life. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's... You don't own their life. You own a certain number of, you don't even own them. You you have access to a certain number of hours of work a week. That's what you have. Mm-hmm. And if you care about them, they feel like they want to give it to you. Mm. And if you don't care about them, 
they don't want to give it to you. So I think that that's what you need to run a business successfully. And actually, I think that's what you need to run most businesses successfully. And so you never regretted this choice? No, absolutely not. I think I've been so lucky. Yeah. I mean, I have been lucky. People say to me, I'm lucky. It's mm-hmm. true. I'm lucky. I'm extremely lucky. So Thank thanks, you Michelle. I know My you pleasure. have to run. It's been very, very enlightening to hear your very common sense approach to things. I see that very little emotion you put into no, this. It's been a very emotional time, believe you me. There's been a lot of tears. No, but I think I mean, I've been through this a few but times. But you're not doing decisions based out of these intense emotions. No, no, I'm not. So doing, I don't do decisions. I think based on this is what the common assumption is about female entrepreneurs. No, you no know? absolutely but not. You're a great example to yeah. prove them otherwise. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think you have to think about things very clearly. And I still like my for and against. Mm-hmm. I still like mm-hmm. it. I still, still do, do it, that. and I still write it down on a piece of paper. Yeah, I can't even work on. I can't even put it on my telephone. Well, I haven't got a telephone so I can't mm-hmm. do it today, but yeah. Okay, so thank you. Thank you. And, thank um, you, Lena. Good I luck to you. Next time you're And to Shanghai, all of the women. We hope that you come back and reopen soon yeah. when the pandemic Maybe. You starts. never know. Yeah. As I told everybody, follow our WeChat because it will still be alive. Okay. And we will still actually send out other information like on the mentor walks. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that some other people that it keeps, you know, keeps itself alive. There's no reason it shouldn't. And I think it's more needed than ever. The I mentor agree. walks. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Good. You should be a Good. mentor. I am. Are you a mentor? <laughs> Are you a mentor in the anymore. mentor walks? Good. I'm adding you on. You, I just, I just nominated you, and, thank you, thank and I, you. and I, and I accepted you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Lena. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry, China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.